This is Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com with your hosts, Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. It's Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup at Backheel.com, Mark Fishkin, Dan Dickinson. And tonight, folks, it is a super, supersized Seeing Red. It's not just a supersized Seeing Red. The quality of Seeing Red tonight is going to be so super. Not only do we have the starting goalkeeper for the last 101 games for the New York Red Bulls, Luis Robles, who is always a terrific interview and is tonight, we have the former head coach and all-time appearances leader ever in Metro Stars and Red Bulls history, and that's Mike Petke, who's joined us as well. Tonight on Seeing Red, what happened against Orlando City? Dan and I will go into it. How can New York make do without Matt Miazga for key matches coming up against Kay Kamara and Didier Drogba and beyond and their teams? The team will be playing without Jesse Marsh on Saturday night. How's that going to go? We'll give our bull and cow for the Orlando match. Could the Red Bulls have signed David Villa away from the blue team? We'll discuss. We're going to break down the current playoff situation. We're going to preview the Columbus match Saturday, 7 p.m. at Red Bull Arena. Your emails, your voicemails, it's a, it's a humongous, magnificent seeing red for you. How are you tonight, Dan? I'm doing just fine, Mark. I'm, I'm, I'm better so, now that it's not Friday. Yes, for sure. And, you know, Friday started... Okay, New York doing their possession game. Orlando scores a nice nifty goal off a corner kick. Dax comes back. We got a corner kick of our own. And then Kyle Laren runs wild for Orlando City. New York constantly pulled apart, uh, letting up seemingly easy-looking goals. New York pulls back 3-2, Verona Sam. Uh, with a half hour to go, and right back, Orlando comes and the finishing touch. New York gives up five goals at home. That hadn't happened in over a year. And uh, thankfully for the Red Bulls, seemingly every other result in MLS went their way. The Red Bulls still the only team in MLS to clinch playoffs. Uh, uh, let's get into it. Ah, what? Yuck! Uh, okay, good. We're done. Uh, there's nothing more to say. No, I mean, if, if you look at the stat sheet, and obviously it doesn't tell the story of the whole game, it, the, the game was pretty even. Red Bulls dominated possession. The shooting was pretty even. You know, it, it was... They had a passing advantage? Yeah, it, it, it looked fine if, you, if you're reviewing stats on your screen as you're taping a podcast. Um, mm. But, you know, it was just that Orlando was really clinical in finishing, and the Red Bulls could, you know, they hit the post twice. Yes, they hit the post twice at a critical point in the game because they could have gone in halftime tied at two. Dax hits the crossbar, BWP hits the post, and then they come right out after halftime, and I don't think it was 45 seconds before Paranel uh, scored for yep. them. First own goal of the season. I can't believe we got so many games in without seeing one, but... Uh, it happened, and uh, you know, the, it's just it was progressive wheels falling off the bus. And I was really struck sitting there watching the game. Um, you know, Jesse tried to change the system to get more attack going. Pulls, yes. pulls Paranel. I think he put an, uh, a bong for him, or was it Verone? I can't even remember now. Um, and so you're playing three in the back, and then Miazga gets a second yellow, and you know, you can argue both of them individually, but if you're on a yellow, maybe maybe don't grab at the guy's arm when he's on a breakaway. 
<laughs> and and so the Red Bulls had to play the last, what is it, uh, about 15 minutes of the game without a center back. So, you know, you saw Dak sort of sitting back trying to, trying to, yeah. play, but it was, it was a, an astonishing finish the game. Jesse's ejection was probably a little needless. Um, it, it was a very bad night at the office, but you're right. Everything else that weekend outside of, you know, LA actually getting a win over Dallas rather than a draw, uh, went their way. Yeah, it absolutely did. Uh, Vancouver lost at home to NYC. Dallas lost at LA. New England could have hopped to first place. Drew Philadelphia at home. Columbus uh, loses at home to Portland, who the Red Bulls had just uh, beat and dominated in their house. DCU is in a ugh, tailspin. They lost at Montreal. My heart doesn't exactly bleed. Uh, I've never seen a match... Dan, where a reserve warming up gets a yellow card. That, but that's that, what happened to Ronald Zubar in this match. Congratulations, Zubar. <laughs> um, so now the Red Bulls will have to take the field Saturday night at home against Columbus Crew, and we'll get to Columbus in a minute, without Jesse Marsh, who, of course, will miss the match. Dennis Hamlet will be in charge, um, which has happened before. The New York has fared moderately well. But they haven't fared moderately well without Matt Miazga, and the, the team is 0-4-1 this season when Miazga is not with them, not starting, and Miazga is not with them. Not only is he suspended, um, but he will be, he is currently, actually as we speak, playing for the U.S. men's under-23 team in Kansas City. They're leading uh, Canada 1-0 at halftime. Miazga will be a part of that tournament and will miss at the very least uh, the Columbus match and the Montreal match, which is currently scheduled for Wednesday. And then I believe he has to serve his suspension. Isn't that yep. right? You cannot serve any suspension in MLS if you are called up on international duty. Now, granted, I don't know if Olympic call-ups actually count because they're not FIFA windows, but in any, they probably do in this case. And, yeah, he'll miss four games between Olympics and a, a yellow card accumulation suspension and a red card suspension. So, so in fact, he has- Chicago. Yeah, so that'll be it. The the good news is, and we're getting way ahead, there was a report today that Giovinco may be called into the Azuri uh, national team for a FIFA window, which would take him out of the match that the Red Bulls will play in Toronto on the 14th. That could, frankly, be a big key for New York getting the shield. But anyway, um, as you said, the team did not play terribly. They defended on the counter pretty terribly. I mean, the Orlando's second goal, the ball goes from Kakata Rivas, Paranel slow to get back, and then on the own goal, I guess he was too fast to get back and scored something like Robles. You, you do have to give Orlando credit. I think that was the fifth own goal they've scored this year. Wow. Um, so they're, they're very good at putting the ball into the mix and forcing defenders to make errors. So, so that, so they're, that's like third on the team. Yeah. No, it actually is their third leading scorer is on goal. He, good, <laughs> you know, great transfer to pick up, uh, from DC during the expansion draft. Yeah. So we've gonna, we're looking at probably Ronald Zubar. In fact, earlier this week, um, Jesse Marsh, I think, hinted that, that the team would be leaning on Ronald Zubar. And when you're looking at, facing up against Kai Kamara and his 22 goals and Ethan Finley, who's dropped two on New York earlier this season. I don't know how confident that makes you feel. Also, Carl We Met has been recalled from Red Bulls 2 as a possible uh, player as well. So um, it's it's not ideal. It's not ideal. And you know the Red Bulls' goal, as we said, and as you'll hear later from Luis Robles, is you know, they're in the playoffs. Next, they want to make sure they're the top two in the in the, in the uh, conference, so they avoid the bye. 
And right now, New York at 48, New England 47, Columbus 47, D.C. 45, Toronto 43. So that, that's certainly not yet secured. Nope. It's uh, it's it's going to be tight down down the stretch. That said, New York has three of the five games at home. You certainly want that. Um, the one game to TFC is a short trip. The 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 final game of the season at Chicago. If they have to go to Toyota <laughs> Park and win for the first time ever in order to win the Shield or clinch top two or clinch the Eastern Conference, it would be really something. Chicago, the only MLS team as of right now eliminated. So, Bowling Cow on a night where ev- they don't play horribly, but everything goes wrong that can go wrong. Uh, Here's your, do you have a bowl? I, I do. I'm going to try. Lay it on I'm us. Sure. I'm going to give it to Dax. Um, finally scoring his first goal of the season with a, uh, a well-worked set piece. He did hit the post, and, you know, he he stayed up for the game. Uh, he didn't look like he really gave up, and I can't recall anything that happened that I could really fault him for. So I'm giving it to You Dex. know, okay, it's interesting that you say, I don't know that anybody really gave up, and... And I, I tweeted during the match when Sam cut it to 3-2 with a half hour left, I thought New York was going to win the game. Mm-hmm. Like, right, it was a, a big goal uh, right through the wickets, tally hall, a half hour left. I, I said this is going to be crazy because Orlando gives up tons of goals and we can do this. Uh, but it didn't happen. I, I'll have to agree with Dax. Um, for me, the cow, I mean, there are a lot of places to point. Connor Laid had a poor match. Um, really got gobbled up by by Orlando's attack and Orlando's counterattack. I think I'm going to give mine, you know, to Paranel. Um, gets the own goal. Um, slow getting back on a couple. Uh, the, yeah, when you give up five goals, what are you going to do? I mean, it's it's just a horrible night. I'm going to give mine to Paranel. I, I would agree, if only because beyond the own goal, I, I think he had a couple of bad bloopers and you know, not a good night at the office. Uh, Lavache, Demian Prenel. Le Mou. Lavache. Okay, Columbus. Mm. Columbus crew is 13, 10, and 8 for 47 points. They're one point behind the Red Bulls. They're currently tied for second with New England. They're tied for fourth in MLS. They've won three and lost two in their last five. They've scored 50 goals, which puts them up in the upper reaches of uh, offensive attacking teams, but they've conceded 51 goals in 31 games, and that's that's not very good, folks. A minus nine goal difference on the road. They lost to Portland at home last week, uh, again, days after New York won at Portland. Uh, they lost 2-1. to one. In fact, their last three matches have been 2-1. to one. They lost, uh, they won at DCU and won at Philly and then lost at home. Um, of course, New York has played Columbus twice already this season, both games 2-1 decisions, both games in Columbus on March 28th. Uh, Bradley gets the early goal, Tony Chani, and then Grella with the chip, if you recall. That's kind of when we first had an inkling early in March uh, that Grelladino was about to emerge from his chrysalis. And then on July 4th, an early goal from Anatola Bong, and then Ethan Finley carves up New York uh, with two goals, a 2-1 loss. As we said, no Matt Miazga. Kai Kamara, 22 goals, is currently leading MLS. Ethan Finley, uh, 9 and 13 assists, uh, who's playing very, very well. Iguain 7 and 8. 
uh, Tony Chani, former Metro, with four goals. Um, Kai Kamara is having a whale of a season, and if it wasn't for Giovinco, Kamara may be a shoe in for for uh, MLS MVP. Twenty two goals and eight assists. I mean, just an absolute uh, phenomenal season. In goal is Steve Clark. He's played every minute. As I said, a one point six four goals against is not. Something to shine on, although Tally Hall had the worst goals against and was able to keep New York at bay. Four shutouts on the season for Columbus. Uh, thoughts on the crew? Uh, I, I would actually just like to mention that Kai is probably going to get my MVP vote anyhow, because mm. I, Kai has 22 goals with no penalties, and oh. he's not a DP. So wow. if you're putting up those numbers better than practically everybody else in the league, and you're getting paid nothing. That that means you're pretty valuable to me. Anyhow, did did, did BWP get your uh, vote last year? For I, not I have a very complicated formula, and it actually <laughs> actually my first vote went to Lee Wen, and BWP got the second vote. Anyhow, because okay. um, assist can, Anyhow, it, 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 it's, it's okay. I guess if anybody really cares, um, you know, Columbus has been strong up front and awful in the back. General. Atrocious. Um, and so, uh, you know, expect there will be goals. Obviously, the weather's a big question mark for this one with uh, Hurricane Joaquim bearing down on the area. Um, so uh, I would expect a lot, a lot of shooting and a lot of stuff hitting the back of the net. Um, it's really hard to tell who's going to, to take it, though, only because you mentioned that in the Augustat earlier. Um, they're going to be without him. And, uh, you know, Zubar is going to have to step up. And I think we've we've played this game where we're waiting for Zubar to uh, return <laughs> three or four times this year. Wait, yeah. Waiting for Zubar is the new hit show on Broadway. Yeah, right. Um, so I, it's it's going to be an interesting match. I, I still have sort of lingering memories of Columbus coming in during the last home game last year uh, before the playoffs and just decimating the Red Bulls and it being pretty ugly. But I, I don't know that that's going to happen this go-round. So we'll see. We certainly will see. Um, let's, before we get to other pressing news, uh, talk a little bit and reset the playoff uh, position in games to watch this week. L.A. in the shield spot right now. They only have three remaining league games to New York's five. 50 points, two more than New York. They are at Seattle this uh, this Saturday, Vancouver tied on points with New York with one more win and f- one fewer game to play. They are at San Jose, so the two teams uh, apart from the Shield uh, slot, keeping New York from the Shield slot, are playing on the road. Vancouver is a very good road team. Seattle is, a, rather, LA is a very, very bad road team. Very bad. One of the worst road teams in the league this year, actually. Uh, Dallas one point behind host Houston in a game for El Capitan. Um, New England is at Chicago. Okay, again, Chicago is officially playing out the string. Uh, Columbus, of course, at New York, 47. Seattle, 45 points, hosting L.A. DCU may or may not be hosting New York City FC at home on Friday night due to the hurricane. New York City has won their last three matches, and they are actually um, threatening to make the playoffs. And DCU has been the worst team in MLS since August 1st. They're only 2-5-1 and one, 7 points. They are just in an absolute tailspin. Kansas City, 45 points. Um, they are at Portland. And TFC, 43 points. Hosting the Philadelphia Union, who lost the U.S. Open Cup in penalty kicks last night to Kansas City. 
Uh, Montreal, who has also won three straight matches, they're actually on a 4-0-2 run, and they will be coming into Red Bull Arena on Wednesday if the weather holds. They will be at Orlando, and that's a massive game uh, towards uh, the red line of the MLS East. So that kind of sets up the weekend. Again, shocking results last week, um, considering how tight the top teams are. The top one, two, three, four, five, six teams within three points of each other at the top. Again, the Red Bulls have uh, the edge with five matches to play. Um, There was a story this week in Metro New York by our friend Christian Dyer that intimated that the Red Bulls had a discovery claim on New York City FC's David Villa and were given a 24-hour ultimatum to sign the Spanish striker or not because City was getting ready to make an offer, which is not usually how things work at MLS. However, from what the story said, New York obviously had no intention of signing or starting and finishing negotiations with Via in a single day, and so they were given a small allocation to direct Via to the Bronx. Do you want to comment on what that means for the league or the team or anything like that? Did you just say this isn't how MLS normally works? They changed the rules on the fly. Excuse me. Excuse me. That's exactly how this league is. Excuse me. Yes. What I meant to say was perhaps... Perhaps not in the spirit. And you, so I want to hear a little more from you on this sure. before I. Um, I I'm of a couple of minds. I have never been one that has much uh, enjoyment in the the discovery claim system, where I can say that I have discovered players that everybody knows about because they're winning awards from FIFA and have perhaps won a World Cup from time to time. It, it's it's a silly system, and I get why it's there with single entity and not wanting teams to bid against each other. But it's still silly. Now that said. Um, if it's a system that's there, then there should be very clearly defined rules about what having somebody on your list means and what you get. If somebody wants to bid for a player you have that you're not necessarily going to do anything with. Luckily, the league put those rules in place this year. You now, you know, there's a defined amount right. of allocation you get. And yes. that, that's good because it, it gives you less incentive to just sit on players as teams have done in the past. Um, certainly gives you a chance to just sort of Discovery list poach, but I think there are less spots now or something like that. Um, And, uh, you know, to the to the extent that the Red Bulls had via on the list, um, you know, maybe they were planning on negotiating with them in the offseason. I have no idea. Obviously, there was all the front office turnover. So it's hard to say what was actually going to happen with that. But. You know, it is silly to say you have 24 hours to negotiate a deal because you can't. You can't do anything right. in that window ever. Um, so I'm of a couple of different minds about it. Mostly I would just wish that the league, and the league has taken some steps this year to get a little better about these rules, but this was a year ago and it was still, we're making it up as we go along. So thanks, Garber. Well, and, you know, I, I guess the question is what is the bigger affront here? Is the bigger affront that a franchise was plopped down 12 miles from Red Bull Arena and, uh, you know, given the opportunity to battle hearts and minds? Or was the, gr- the greater affront that the league uh, pressed on the Red Bulls to, uh, you know, move now or forever hold your peace on a player that they probably did not have in their sights? So, um, 
it would be very curious. We, we should do some digging and find out exactly when the discovery claim was made on Via, right? If you can all remember the Javi to uh, Red Bulls or NYCFC discussion that was going on uh, a while ago as well. So, um, you know, decisions that are made in silly season are usually silly. And as you said, as you said, making this up as we go along is words directly out of Garber's mouth. And I know that they were trying to be more transparent, um, but still not great. Not great nonetheless. But if the Red Bulls were able to extract some allocation money, and we all know how uh, Ollie Curtis feels about allocation money, then so be it. Um, before we go to break and bring on Luis Robles and then Mike Petke and then your emails, I'm just curious as your prediction for Saturday night at 7 p.m. Oh, and, and before, before, excuse me, mm-hmm. I, I interrupt even before, uh, after I ask, um, Mike Petke, as we said, will be the 20 for 20 honoree this week at Red Bull Arena, which means probably about 6.45 or so he will be honored uh, by the, on the field before the game. Um, in previous matches, the, the stadium has not exactly been full at this time. Now, mind you, the last few games have been Friday night matches, and we know how difficult it is getting around, and we've discussed that on Seeing Red. But Saturday night at 7 is a fine time to be at Red Bull Arena a little bit early to honor um, a player and coach that has given uh, most of his professional career to this team. So I urge you, if you are planning on attending on Saturday night, plan on being in your seat by about 6.30 or so. And I, uh, I know that Mike will definitely appreciate it. So that said, your prediction for Saturday against the crew at Red Bull Arena. 2-2. Ooh, that won't help. No, it won't. But, you know, it's considered a challenge. I'm going to call it 3-2 Red Bulls, and I think they're going to break out of their funk, uh, the, the one-match funk. They've been alternating wins and losses for a little bit now. Yes, they've gone win-loss, win-loss over their last four games. So naturally, this will be a win, uh, although I could certainly see 2-2. When we're back on Seeing Red, we're going to talk to the century man for the New York Red Bulls, and that's Luis Robles. We'll be right back. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Seeing Red, New York Soccer Roundup. Mark and Dan, here with you. Also here with us is the starting goalkeeper of the New York Red Bulls, Luis Robles, who just uh, hit the century mark in Portland, actually, starting his 100th consecutive MLS match, approaching that all-time record. Luis, uh, welcome back to Seeing Red. How are you? I'm doing, I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me, guys. We're, we're very, very happy that you could join us again. So let's start. Your, your ninth shutout of the season out in Portland, which was a phenomenal game, save of the week, which may be up for save of the year, I'm sure, was followed by the most goals you've allowed all year. How are you staying level from week to week, where <laughs> one week everything was going great and the next week things were decidedly less great? That was a pretty quick, pretty quick dose of humble pie there. <laughs> Five days later, five goals. It's okay. Now, it's, we look at the situation, and we have to judge the entire body of work. As we've played 29 games, we realize that we've done very well in most of those games. And for this game to turn out the way that it did, we're chalking up to it as being an outlier, as an aberration. But also, with that being said, we know that there's certain things that we can learn from it. And so this, this past week, we spent a lot of time in the classroom 
looking at the whiteboard from a tactical standpoint, and then, of course, doing a lot of video. And even as we broke down the video, usually what Jesse does is he has all these clips, and he shows us all these clips, good and bad. But this time around, we actually watched segments of the game. And as we're looking at the game, there, there were some really good segments. And if you didn't know the score, you would think, wow, okay, um, this team in red and white is doing very well. But, <laughs> but of course, the scoreboard said differently, and, and we know that it's um, it's something that we can we need to recover quickly because we have a really tough opponent this week. Louise, uh, I, I've heard increasing concern that this team is getting pulled apart a little bit too easily on the counter. How best can you guys prevent succumbing to the, the sort of quick attack? Because with guys like Kai and, and Montreal coming to town, um, there's going to be more In- of that. Increasing. You've heard increasing. Oh, man, you're starting to scare me. Uh, <laughs> this is why you don't go on social media, right? <laughs> All of a sudden, the whispers are becoming worse. No, it, it's... It's one of these situations where we're starting to understand that it's late in the season and it's easy to just go through the motions. And that's why this past week there has been repetition over repetition over how do we want to line up, how do we want to set ourselves, and then, of course, how are we going to, how are we going to play against some of these very difficult forwards that we're about to go up against. And where we're at isn't necessarily about learning new things about ourselves. It's about keeping things tight and sharp. And I think this is where we're at right now is with these last five games, we have an understanding that some of the goals that we've given up are on the counter, are when we play against quicker teams. And I'm sure other teams are game planning for us as well. They're starting to to pick us apart and think, okay, well, if we do this, maybe we can create an advantage against against uh, the Red Bulls. And so it would be, um, well, it behoove us at least to, to at least look and see what is going on. And I think we've done our due diligence this week. Uh, we understand that and then when we go up against Kai, that he's going to be physical and he, he really is an incredible target forward. Um, but there are certain things that we feel if we implement and execute properly, we're going to be able to neutralize it. Luis, you, uh, Kyle Laren had a pretty good game uh, last week. Is he? Uh, yeah, getting he your rookie? game. I saw he was the first MLS player to be named to the FIFA World Player of the, player of the Week. So I, <laughs> I think that pretty much sums it up. And I'm happy for him. I'm glad that he was able to break that record for, for a rookie uh, scoring record because um, he really is a phenomenal player. I, I'm just a little disheartened that it was against us. Is he getting your Rookie of the Year vote after a night like that? He has my Rookie of the Year vote. I, I mean, right. that was a great performance, clinical finishing. Um, you see just why he was a top pick because he's got so many attributes that he can bring forth and punish teams, and he did that against us. Louise, we just touched on them a little bit, but obviously the next two home games have two pretty lethal strikers coming at you. How much do you study the tendencies of a Kai Kamara or Didier Drogba before the match? How do, how do, I'm sorry, one more time, what was the question? How do you study their, their sort of tendencies and attack? How do you get ready to face guys like that? We, we've got a great video, um, video guy. I mean, he's the director of, I don't know what his title is. He's, he's awesome. Victor Bertini. And basically what he does, him and Jesse, they sit down and they hash out clips. They, sh- they know what they want to show us, whether it's his strengths or his weaknesses how teams have defended them well and, and how teams have defended them poorly. 
in the end result. So we have that covered, and we watched a lot of video today. But with that being said, it, the game's still played between the lines, and we're going to have to go out with the understanding that we may not win every single head ball against Kai, but if we can be alert, if we can have the presence of mind to be looking for the bits and pieces of the second ball, I think that starts to play to our advantage because if we can get that ball and move quickly and play our, play the way that we do um, offensively, uh, we can counterattack and maybe we can get some good opportunities. But, I, I mean, we, we look at Kai and we know that he's had an unbelievable season. I think he scored 21 or 22 goals and that he is going to be a big factor in this game. But if we can take what we've learned in the classroom and we can execute, I firmly believe that we can not only limit his impact, but start to um, frustrate him. And if we can frustrate him, I think that that's going to be to a large advantage, obviously, but it's going to be one of the keys to the match. And then you look at Didier. I mean, this guy's a legend. He's an incredible player, and I'm really excited to be on the same field with him. I'm really excited to be able to to go up against him. But with that being said, we have a game plan for Montreal because the most important game is the next one. So we've done, our, like I said, we've done our due diligence. We've studied Kai. And, and you know, Ethan Finley's no slouch either. He's had nope. a banner year. He's played as an all-star. You probably should get called to the national team. And so we can't forget about Iguain. We can't forget about Ethan Finley. And Tony Chani, he's really stepped it up in the back half of the season. So Columbus, they're very good going forward. But if you look at the stats, they also can be very easily exposed. And we're hoping that if we can take care of business in the back, we're going to get our chances up front and get some goals against them. Of course, you're going to have to take care of business in the back without young Matt, who is playing as we speak for the U.S. He's been so Mm -hmm. important to the team this season, and he's going to be away for some time. Talk to us a little bit about the confidence level in players like Zubar and Wimet to come in and help you guys shut down these two premium strikers. I think my confidence expands beyond just the names that you mentioned. In the very beginning of the season, it was, it was upon the management to figure out how can we put together a team under the salary cap, the restrictions in the league, that not only is going to have quality, but depth. And I think if we had to grade them, they'd get fairly hard marks because from my standpoint, it's not necessarily losing one player that leaves me feeling like we have no chance. Because they've done that, we have a lot of depth. I feel like we have quality, and it really is this mentality of the next man on, having complete understanding of the task at hand. And so whether it is Ronald, whether it is Carl, whether it's Anthony, whether it's one of the many players who's come in and played admirably and done well, this confidence resonates throughout the locker room. It's not just me. It's, it's, it's everyone in there. We feel that we've got a good squad. There's a, a conviction within the guys that if we play the way that we're supposed to, it doesn't matter who's on the field or who we're going up against, we're going to be successful. And I think it's that belief. That's not only going to carry us to these next five games, but hopefully deep into the playoffs. Louise, last night, I think a lot of us were glued to the uh, Open Cup final, which, again, went to penalties. With the playoffs looming, you've got penalty shootouts possible. When do you start getting in the mindset that you might have to get in the shootout? Well, when their last game, October 26th, 
something like that. After that last game, then we'll switch that mentality to <laughs> the different format that's involved in the playoffs. And we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves even though we've qualified. However, because we've qualified, now we want to attack some bigger goals, such as finishing top two so we skip the bye, um, winning the supporter shield. And what that does is start to develop a playoff mentality right now. And so we look at this last game against Orlando and realize that it wasn't our best. Because of where we're at right now, there is some grace, but we, saw, we also understand that we don't want to exhaust that. And we don't want to waste the opportunity that we've been given. Sure, we've got games in hand. Sure, we're in a great position right now. But we have to find a way to sort of push that aside and look at every single game for what it is. It's the, it's the home stretch. So that means every single point is valuable. And then when you start adding it up in the supporter shield, of course, you don't want to drop any of these. But at least what we're hoping to get out of every, every single game is that it starts getting back to that mentality of being sharp, being tight, um, winning the second balls, having a belief that we're going to win no matter what, no matter if it's home or away, what circumstances or extenuating circumstances may be going against us. And, and it's sort of a nice little dress rehearsal going into the playoffs. Now, without being said, when it's all done, and it is, you know, into the playoffs, it is a different mentality because we understand that it is home away. But, but when, I, when I watched that game yesterday, it, it's heartbreaking because we really wanted to win that tournament. And when you look at, <clears throat> you look at how it played out, we would have hosted every single game. And so for, we couldn't have asked for better, uh, better circumstances, but it didn't work out this year. So we're hoping that we can vindicate ourselves by winning silverware elsewhere, whether that's a supporter's shield or MLS cup. But, you know, the, the belief is strong in this group. And really, we really believe that, that we can win something. Speaking solely as a goalkeeper, what, what's your feeling on the tactic of the 120th minute goalkeeper sub to get a fresh keeper in the first Oh man, I was, I was, I knew that question was next. <laughs> uh, it, it's brutal. It, it, as a goalkeeper, it is brutal. It happened to me in high school. We had this, we had this forward who never played, but when he was in a penalty shootout, she was unbelievable. Like, <laughs> he would never come into the game, and then all of a sudden, and, and in high school, high school soccer at least, every game in Arizona, there had to be a winner, which was asinine. But you play the 80 minutes of regulation, and, and if, if there wasn't a, if there's still a tie, you just go straight into the shootout. And so I remember it was my sophomore year, and I was just starting to gain confidence as a keeper. And the coach says, no, we're going to use this other guy for PKs. And suffice it to say, he was three out of three. So I, <laughs> you can't necessarily blame the tactic, but as an individual, it's a tough spot because you still want your team to win. And if it means that this person gives you a better chance to win, then you, you have to be for it. You know, because it is a team sport, it's not about the individual. But if you're asking the individual, I think any goalkeeper is going to say that it's, it's a very difficult position, and it's probably a difficult position for the guy coming in as well. So, with that being said, if we go into the playoffs and Jesse feels that, you know, another goalkeeper will give us a stronger chance <laughs> it, in a PK shootout, you guys heard it here first. Yes. I will swallow my pride. 
<laughs> and I will walk off the field and I will do my best to cheer him on because at the end of the day, it's about a collective effort. It's about this group doing well. And it is much less about how I feel about a certain a circumstance. Fantastic. Luis, you, uh, you had a nice uh, appearance with Grant Wall on SI Now this week. And you said in your interview with Grant that uh, you believe that L.A. is the model MLS franchise. And I'm, I'm, we're just kind of curious, is that because of all the titles they're won or their big expensive <laughs> stars or something else? You know, principally you because... Yeah, well, I mean, but let's be honest. The, the Red Bulls have decided this year that they were going to shy away from a big star mentality and make the team the star. And, you know, the reality is they're probably in the top two or three in the league in terms of the amount they're spending on players, and the Red Bulls are at the bottom of that list despite you know, all the success that, that you guys have had. So I'm just kind of curious uh, what your thought process was on that. So as we approach the century mark, I was asked by our media team and, and by fans and, and all sorts of outside media uh, what this means to me. And my work went empty when I said that I'm, I'm just grateful. I'm grateful for the opportunity from an organization that's given me a lifeline to extend my career, to give me another chance. And I hope that with every opportunity that I get to be on the field, I pay it forward. I pay it back to them. And so my experience over the last three years has been incredible. I mean, I, I can't imagine playing for another organization. And, and I want to, you know, finish out my career here and win a lot of trophies and be very successful. So if you were asking me, I think Red Bull is absolutely the modern organization. But the thing that separates us still from LA Galaxy isn't necessarily the spending because we've shown this year, and sure it has been one year, so we'll see what it's like in the next years. We've shown that that we can have that same sort of success that Real Salt Lake did, where you're not going out and spending a lot. But it, it has to be the entire organization on one page. And I think when you look at Real Salt Lake in 2009, you start to see an organization that found the right players, found the right pieces, and, and it all came together. Um, and then you contrast that to the LA Galaxy, where somehow in this convoluted system of spending and salary cap and restrictions and all sorts of tax that goes on this player, they found a way to be successful year in, year out. And when you weigh that up, okay, well, how can you find that sort of hybrid or happy medium between Real Salt Lake and LA Galaxy? And I think that's what we're trying to achieve. I don't think that Red Bull all of a sudden said we're not going to spend money because um, you know, we saw that with Gonzalo. They they went and spent money for a player that they feel will be a big part of their system for the next few years. And sure, it isn't a big name, but it came with a price tag. Sure. But then you go find the right pieces like a Kamar Lawrence or an Anthony Wallace or um, any of these off-season acquisitions. Um, uh, and, and you're starting to see that there's a philosophy here. It's not just, okay, let's, you know, let's try to put this together. Let's go and find the next player, the next big name. And and this is something that Ali and Jesse believe in. And the more and more they preach it, the more and more they practice it, the more the players believe it, the more the organization and, believes it. Whether you're in the ticket sales, whether you're in you know uh, the social media, or whether you're in the software, I think people are starting to see that if there's a plan and it's executed properly and it's done with a certain bit of... Um, grace and humility, um, we can be successful. 
And I hope that we are very successful. And I hope that we end up usurping LA Galaxy because all the pieces are there. You know, we have a stadium, we have the academy, we have the fan base, we have um, the pocketbook. So now it's up to us getting the job done on the field. And if we do, and we start to win the same way that LA Galaxy has been, I think the rest of the league is going to be looking up at us and they're going to be chasing after us. With two more wins, Luis Robles will tie Tony Miola for the most league wins in club history despite playing 20 fewer matches. Luis Robles, it is always a pleasure to speak with you on Seeing Red, and thank you so much for joining us, and good luck on Saturday. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mark and Dan. Is that my random fact of the, of the podcast? That's your, that's your send-off stat of the night. <laughs> Soon there are not going to be any of these. It'll be Luis Robles is the best ever keeper that's ever played for this franchise. But we're not quite there oh, yet. Well, that, that sounds frightening. <laughs> <laughs> guys, always, thank you very much. I appreciate it. I haven't heard from you guys for a while. I thought maybe you guys were going to invite me. Maybe this no, no, no. So, thank you very much. Well, it's, it's, it's an honor to be on the, on the podcast with you guys. It, the honor's ours. We've got more Seeing Red coming up after this short break. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Back at Seeing Red, Mark Fishkin, Dan Dickinson. Our our latest guest uh, needs almost no introduction, but I'll provide one anyway. Mike Petke wore the Metro Stars and Red Bulls shirts a combined 197 times between 1998 and 2010, and that's the most in club history. Mike was the head coach of the Red Bulls in 2013 and 2014, leading the club to its first and only major title. That's, of course, the 2013 Supporter Shield. He is currently a soccer commentator and a very longtime friend of the show. Mike Petke, welcome back to Seeing Red. Jesus, with, a, with an intro like that, I should hire you guys right now, for sure. There, there you go. We're good, we're good for parties. There you go. Mike, let's start here. What, what has it been like to watch the team endure the ups and downs that they've gone through over the course of the season? Well, first of all, thank you guys for having me on. You know, I've been on many times, as you said, and uh, I've enjoyed every time. Uh, so it's good to be back with you guys. Um, answer your question, uh, there's been a heck of a lot more ups and downs this year uh, with the Red Bull team. It's been it's been obviously a joy to watch from a soccer standpoint um early on you know it was a little interesting the dynamic with everything that happened and then all of a sudden to be tuning in from the first game on and having you know thoughts going through my mind but uh as the season went on um i haven't missed many games the only games actually in fact i've missed was because of my my son's playing at the same time but uh it's been great to watch because a handful you know more than a handful of those players i've uh I've had the pleasure of uh, interacting with and coaching with over the last couple of years. Mike, uh, when the 20 and 20 announcement came out a couple of days ago, uh, there was an article from Brian Lewis in the Post saying, with you telling him that you had stayed away from the club in the first half of the year so that you weren't a distraction to a club you still had in your heart. What, what's made this club continue to hold that fix on you given how this year has gone? Well, it's simple. I mean, to me, the way I live my life and, and the way that, uh, you know, uh, I've been raised, I guess you could say, and the way that I, I teach my kids to live their life, it, it's very simple to me is that if something happens to you traumatically or, or something happens that you don't agree with in a circumstance like I've been in, which is a part of this organization through Metro Stars, uh, then the Red Bulls for over 10 years, 
you don't, it, it would be selfish and fake of me to just say, I hate the Red Bulls now. Now, let, let me be, I'm being completely honest now. You know, there's certain parts of the organization through what happened that I'm, I'm not very thrilled with. But from a standpoint of uh, the majority of the players, uh, you, you know, I'll, I'll, even, I'll even throw this out there, and it's because I mean it. From the standpoint of Jesse Marsh and Chris Armis and David Hammett, uh, these are guys who have done nothing to me. You know, and Jesse Marsh has done nothing to me. Jesse Marsh is a, is a guy who uh, was coaching in Montreal. Um, got a raw end of the deal from, from my standpoint and from everybody else's around the league standpoint, and he waited and waited and got his opportunity. I don't expect him to sit back and say, wait a second, you know, Mike Pecky shouldn't have been fired here, so I'm not going to take this job. It has nothing to do with that. Um, so from that standpoint, you know, I, I'm always going to support this team. You know, even if I get another head coaching job, if I'm fortunate enough to get a head coaching job somewhere else, um, I'm going to be loyal to that organization, of course, because that's that's who I am. But I'm always going to be checking the paper to see how Red Bull does. Mike, which of the club's new additions, who you hadn't worked with before your departure, are have you been most impressed with this season? Well, I mean, the obvious choices are, are Felipe um, and Sasha. Question, obviously. I mean, these are guys that I, obviously I know about, and it should be told. Uh, the previous year, I don't want to. I don't want to say we had an opportunity, but something came up that there was a outside to inside chance that we could have gotten Felipe, and uh, as a total organization, it was passed on. Uh, mm. So those two players right there, you know, they, they've done well, and then they fit into the mold exactly how uh, Jesse uh, wants this team to play, and, and it done well. But I look at Lawrence at left back. You know, left back was always a position. I was very loyal to Roy Miller, and I still think Roy Miller's a very good player. But, I mean, he's added, for sure, a dynamic to that team. Um, for me, that, 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 that is great. With his speed, with his, obviously his pace, um, with his tenacity on defense, um, you know, the way that he fills that role uh, very well. You know, and I've enjoyed watching him play. Uh, turning to somebody that you did get to spend some time with, Matt Miazga's had a... a Pretty stellar year, gotten a lot of plaudits. People talking about him maybe moving to Europe. What What are your thoughts on how he's done this year? Oh, I mean, he, he he's he's become he, he's transitioned into the player that it was a no brainer from myself to Robin uh, to you know to the organization at that point. We, we knew that was going to happen. The only you know obviously uh, thing is that I'm not there during that during this development right here. But uh, you know it was. Uh, it was a foregone conclusion that, that Matt Miaska is going to be a player. He's picked the mold in every category from his, just his demeanor to, um, you know, his size. I mean, he fits that bill perfectly. And now he's playing some very good, very good soccer. And I think that it would be for the league, um, Red Bull, of course, but for the league in general, it would be a no brainer to do anything to keep a player like that around here. Now, I'm not saying to, you know, pay him. 10 times what they've ever played a, paid a player before at that age in a, in a position, but there's got to be some way that they could keep a player like this. And to me, that's what MLS is all about, and it should be all about. If it's not in, in the front league offices, keeping these players that are special, and he certainly is a special player in MLS and in you know his hometown of, of, of New York, New Jersey area. Mike, do you think it's important 
for his development that he go to Europe and, and improve? I mean, he's obviously excelled Not against some of the top strikers in the league. You think he can stay here and continue to develop? Well, of course I'm going to say yes, because I mean it. I mean, well, what does that mean? He has to go to Europe to develop? I mean, we could, we, could, we, could, we could point out countless cases over the last 10, 15 years of players with such promise going over to Europe and all of a sudden getting loaned out 15, 20 times only to not pan out at all. Now, is that because they weren't a good player than that promise? No. It's because you're taking a player and putting him in a position that there are dozens and dozens of players like that. Now, from a standpoint of competitiveness, a standpoint of maybe wanting to go and challenge yourself in the elite league, let's make no bones about it. Uh, MLS compared to the EPL, MLS compared to La Liga, to the German League, uh, it's no shame to say that we're not at that level yet. It's no shame at all to say that. But to say that he cannot develop here with the coaches that we have, you know, not only in the first team, but on the academy where he's come up through, we've done a great job, Bob Montgomery and his staff, at the, at the Red Bulls Academy, has done a phenomenal job of, of of developing him over the years. To say that he can't develop here to me is nonsense. Do you uh, agree with uh, under twenty three coach Andy Herzog that he could be playing for the full national team in a matter of months? <laughs> I mean, listen, uh, my jerk reaction is absolutely I agree with him. But do I want to put that pressure on Matt Miatka? So <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I don't. Um, I think he had, I think he's a special player. I think that he, what, it doesn't have to be three months from now, although it could be, it doesn't have to be though. He's on a, he's been on a very good, um, pace right now this year that he's showing from last year playing a handful of games to this year playing a predominant role. Um, he's on, he's on his way to, to being that guy, the center back of the U.S. national team. Now, does he have to be in three months? <laughs> it's not for me to decide. I have my opinions on it, but it's not for me to decide. But I know that if he continues this path, whether it be for the New York Red Bulls or if he does go overseas and he does do his due diligence and work hard and develop, for certain he's going to be the cornerstone of, of the back line for the U.S. National Team for two, three World Cups to come. Great. Okay, so let, let's let's move our attention for players on the field to Saturday night, Red Bull Arena. You're walking back into the arena. What are you most looking forward to concerning your return and being honored on the field beforehand? And maybe what are the things that you might be a little nervous about? Well, what I'm most looking forward to is the uh, buffet up in the uh, suite of uh, <laughs> Red Bull Arena, which my wife and family and kids have talked to me about over the last couple of years. I never got to taste. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a nice spread from what I yes, understand uh, that's what I keep hearing um, on a serious note listen uh, I'm looking forward to get back to Red Bull Arena because I was told when I got fired and it hit me very hard obviously and my family very hard you know I was told from very close people uh, that you're going to go through this stage of grieving you know and perhaps and they actually took a step further because they're people I trust that perhaps it wasn't a stage that you would go through if you just got hired to coach a club you never had an affiliate with you know perhaps that would have been a, a, a heck of a lot less of the time but for me with the Red Bull with how long I've been with them it, it took a while but I could say this is that I'm, I'm I went through all those steps and all those processes and that's why I'm going back I'm absolutely at ease I'm at peace and and uh, everything is fine now so I'm looking forward to going back to it, to be honest with you, is sitting up in the skybox 
and watching a team that, you know, has a, has, is in a great position, a team that's in my hometown, a team that I'm fortunate enough to coach and play for and, and that I still support uh, with my family, which I've really never been able to do. That's what I'm looking forward to. Uh, equally as much I'm looking forward to is standing in front of South Ward, which, I mean, I'm not going to go through all the things that I feel about them. You guys know we've talked about this many times. Yep. To sit in front of them and be honored um, is going to be uh, is going to be nice for me. It's going to be wonderful. Mike, from the the little bit I got to know you when you were a coach, the, I think the last thing I would have expected to do after leaving the organization was to go into broadcasting and be a journalist. So, what have you learned during <laughs> your first season uh, working working the TV? Well, the the, the first I mean, I'm not going to say any jokes here. The very first thing that I learned is that um, I absolutely love this sport. I love this league. I love all soccer in general. Um, to sit up there and do something as simple to me, at least, to analyze a game, something that I know about, it's an easy job for me. And I'm not saying that cocky. I'm not saying that arrogant. You know, it's like taking an accountant and having them overlook, uh, you know, a debate on finances and have them comment on it. You know, I mean, it's something It's easy to me. Um, and it's something that I've really... I'm not saying I've learned to love the actual sitting up in the booth because every time I'm up there for 90 minutes, I'm looking down at the bench and saying, I wish I was there. But it, it's enjoyable to to re to reacquire that love, you know, of a sport, you know. And then I said it all along. It doesn't matter if I'm commenting on commentating on MLS, commentating on NASL, commentating on college soccer or youth soccer. It's soccer in general in this country. And if we want this to grow... Uh, you know, it has to be, you know, any opportunity you have to help that grow, you have to take, and, and I've enjoyed it. Mike, um, we have to talk about, you know, it's, it's we're in the fourth quarter of the year. Um, we have to talk about what 2016 and the future might hold for Mike Petke. Obviously, uh, the club had said they, they would like to have you at, in some capacity with the organization. Uh, have Are you thinking about where you're going to be, who you're going to be working for? Are you hoping to continue in the, in the TV work that you've begun? What is, uh, in the broadest strokes, or specifically, if you'd like, talk to us a little bit about what you're thinking about for next year and beyond. Well, to be honest with you, I have to. I, I think that it, I would be ill will of me not to comment on this because I've heard and I've read in the papers through friends and family about uh, Ali Curtis reaching out to me on my agent. I'm sorry, four, four or five times uh, about a conversation about this. Now I have to go back. I just parted ways with my agent and I'm under new management, but uh, I've never heard anything of a reach out to me. I'm not saying that it never happened. All I'm saying is that if it did happen and I was not made aware of it, well, then I need to check certain things because that sounds to me like misrepresentation. So I've read that article. Um, at this point, I'm still under somewhat contract with Red Bull, meaning that I'm, I have a severance package, mm-hmm. I'm getting paid. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about my future, obviously, for myself and my family. I'm not ready to comment on exactly what I'm going to do but I've not been reached out from Ali um, personally. And if, if it was through my former agent to, to reiterate, then I really need to, to figure out where the message got lost. Hmm. Okay. Um, obviously, the Red Bulls, the only team to clinch in a, a, a spot in the MLS Cup playoffs. 
uh, presented by Audi. And I'm just kind of curious, you know, the team has five games left. They still have a, a possibility of a shield. They're going to be playing without young Matt Miazga for a number of key games. There are some big, talented strikers coming into Red Bull Arena over the next few games. I'm curious, uh, you know, what's your outlook on the team? Um, obviously, as you know, being a veteran, the playoffs are a grind, yep. and regular season success is no guarantee of uh, duplicating that in the postseason. So I'm just kind of curious where you, where you think the chances are here. Well, I mean, it's tough for me to answer this question, which, by the way, I will in a second, but it, I have to explain to you, it's tough for me to answer this question because you know, they, they don't need any more pressure they have on them. You know, I think that the their destiny, the Rebels' destinies are in their hands. You know, they've done a phenomenal job to put themselves in the position. And if you look at the last couple of weeks when they've had one-game blips, you know, whether it be Orlando or New England a couple of weeks before that with their Portland win in between, which was great, everything has fallen in their place as far as results around the league. And you can look at the schedule coming up, their schedule is very favorable for them to make some huge noise and to win some silverware. Having said that, which I said on ESPN as well, is that while I think that they can do it and they, they, there's a better chance they will do it uh, winning the Supporter Shield than there is that they won't, this is MLS, <laughs> as we've seen with the results over the last month. You know, I mean, the one thing that people, I think, know but don't realize, the big difference there, they know but they don't realize on a daily basis is that this league was built on parity. So the Orlando could come in and win 5-2. to two. How could that be possible? They could go to Portland when Caleb Porter is under so much pressure and they do have a good team and they do have a good system they play in and, and come out with this great result. So this, this is the way MLS works. So my answer is I think they can do it. I'm hoping they do do it. Uh, anything can go. If, I, if, if, if this was the EPL or La Liga and we're talking about Barcelona and Man United, then we're saying absolutely. But it's not that type of league. Mike Petke is an icon of this franchise. Oh. And I know that he is certainly Mr. Ram Red Bull Arena. And I know that uh, the fans will be getting to their seats early on Saturday to honor you and your service to the club. Well, Thank you it, so it, much it, for joining is us. Is there actually a game Saturday? Or are we hitting, we getting hit with this uh, tornado? I, I think it's going to. I think it's going to hold off. I think as long as you bring the rain gear, you're going to be okay. <laughs> the cardigan rain gear, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks as always, Mike. We really appreciate you coming by and chatting with us. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. More after this at Seeing Red at Backheel.com. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. We're back. Mark and Dan here. Hello. Thank you for sticking with us. We've had a pretty fantastic show so far. And now, our fourth segment, if you will, as we finish up a great Seeing Red, a super, super size Seeing Red, is your emails. Just three this week. Here's Paul Vernick, who says... Mark, Dan, Mike, and Luis, and to all who are listening. As the cool breeze starts to set in and the leaves falling, the home stretch of the season is in full gear. We have hopefully seen the worst and yet to see the best. The team is not meant to slow. They need to stay energized. As this is in October for many of you with multiple playoff teams, I think if you're a baseball fan, 
You have to hope the team teams don't lose focus. Being in the playoffs is not the final answer. This team has seen enough of hard times as year after year there's either disappointment or straight anger. I'm calling on you all Metro or New York fans, whatever you call this club, pray, hope, and believe that this is the year, this is the time, and this is our year. Come on, you Metros. And as Vince Lombardi said, winning isn't everything, but wanting to win is. Paul Vernick, P.S. Save money. Wink, wink from Paul. One time seeing Red Live Caller. One time. (laughs) Well, Paul was the one time, and I think his family. uh, I I think he probably dialed it five times. All right. So, uh, good sentiment for Paul. Here's friend of the show, Phil Armando. One of my favorite aspects of seeing Red this season is how the ethos of the Red Bulls have actually seeped into the podcast. No matter the host pairings or solo efforts, anyone from the Seeing Red team can step up and fill in. Everyone knows the system and is capable of performing at the highest level. You guys haven't missed a beat this season. Very kind, Phil. Thank you. This show is an Um, energy drink. This show is an... (laughs) Well, you know, and, 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 I'm, I'm going to pull the curtain back for just a second. But yes. One of the things that people may not know is that if we are swapping hosts, for instance, if Mark can't make it, um, the discussion at some point as we're getting ready for the show is which one of us will be in the Mark position and which one of us uh, will be in the Dave yes. position. Um, for, for all the budding podcasters out there, have a format and stick to it. It helps tremendously. Absolutely. Agreed. 100%. A system, if you will. Unlike the senior team this past Friday, what an ugly loss, says Phil. Though Dax had a nice goal and the boys in red hit a crossbar and a post, had either of those gone in, it might have been a different game. Unfortunately, Orlando's counterattack was as automatic as a cheat code. But if we know anything about MLS, it's that crazy things happen as the season winds down, so I'm not panicking. More than Friday's weak performance, what concerns me over the last few games is the emotionalism the guys display on the field. They fervently fervently, fervently, excuse me, it's late, argue every free kick and foul for and against. Zubar even managed to draw a yellow while warming up. Soccer is a game best played with emotion, but many of the players and head coach Jesse March seem way too wound up out there. John Wooden achieved great success with his championship teams because he never allowed his players to get too high or too low. Red Bull isn't exhibiting that kind of composure on the field of play, and left unchecked, it seems like it could be a problem as games become more meaningful. It also looks exhausting, and I can't help think it saps precious energy over the course of a game, or that another team will notice this and try to wind them up in an effort to disrupt their game. I'd like to see them play a bit calmer and controlled, effectively fueling their passion, excuse me, funneling their passion and intensity into their play, not arguing calls that are never reversed. So I'm curious, have you guys noticed this tendency as well? And if so, is this an aspect of their performance that concerns you as we head down the stretch and in the wilds of the postseason? Keep up the great work, Phil. Um, yeah, they, they totally got lost their cool this week. And obviously Miazga getting the, the gate and Jesse Marsh being shown the door and Ronald Subar warming up and getting a yellow card. It was not great. Um, and that, that is a downside of passion is that you can certainly let it get the best of you. What do you, what do you think? Dan? Um, it, it can. And it's sort of a double edged sword because if the players aren't arguing calls and backing each other up, then are they playing for each other? Or do they have the passion? So it, it's, it's hard to walk the line. One, one thing I will add just to be all statistical um, is that the Red Bulls are 13th in the league for fouls conceded, uh, 6th for fouls suffered, and ninth for yellow cards. 
So, and, and they're pretty low in the grand scheme of red cards. They've only gotten three on the year. And I think Miazga's earned two of them. So, and I think they've only been called for whistle for two penalty kicks this season. Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. Which is significantly less than last year. Significantly. I'm sure Louise is glad I'm not asking him questions about that anymore. Um, yes. so I, I think they are, they are passionate. And certainly if a game starts to get away from you, I can, I can forgive a team. Getting more and more angry. It's the, I don't know if people notice this, but generally, if the game starts to slip away, the crowd also gets angrier every time the whistle blows, and the boos rain down hard, even if it's a totally legitimate foul. So it, it's a natural thing. Um, but agree, you you want to keep your head at least on because nobody wants more players sent off. The spirit is there for sure. Andrew Bizanet long-time fan of the team and of the show, says, guys, with one month to go in the regular season, I figured I would ask a fun question to take our minds off the Orlando game a bit. My question is, who do you think should be the MVP for the club this year? Is it, ready, Bradley Wright Phillips, 14 goals and 7 assists, Grelladino, 7 and 7, Lloyd Sam, 8 and 6, and member of the 2020 club, Sasha Kleschen, 6 and 11, Dax, captain, one goal and six assists. Young Matt Miazga, the best defender in MLS. Or Luis Robles, <clears throat> nine clean sheets and a 64% save percentage, which I don't know how much that means. But it seems like it could be any of these guys. Andrew, if you had to vote right now after 29 games, your Red Bulls 2015 MVP would be... Sasha Question. Yeah. I'm thinking I, I, the first half of the season was certainly forgettable, and you know everybody. Uh, I'm going to channel Jesse for a second. You know everybody was talking, and you know after that that horror show Vancouver game, he he's stepped it up. Newcomer of the year, no doubt, is Screlladino, who uh, I mean, f- for the dollars involved. There's, it's incomparable in the league, and I know he's not going to get newcomer of the league in MLS, no. but um, f- just a, a phenomenal player. You know, he, he's not going to blow you away every single match, certainly, mm-hmm. but um, tremendous. I would have no problem with Sasha. I would have no problem with Bradley a little bit, who's um, you know who's picked up his assists significantly. Um, I don't. I you know he's he hasn't scored now in three matches, which for him, frankly, over the down the stretch, has been uh, a little bit of a drought. And the team has lost two of those games, so uh, there's really no surprise there. Um, Lloyd, terrific. Um, Dax, certainly the heart and soul of the team. I'm not sure if he's the MVP. And of course, Matt Miazga has the record when he plays. Usually they win, uh, and when he doesn't play. Well, we're going to find out. Um, that we are. Do you want to? Do you want an impressive Miazga stat? Yes. He's sixth in the team for shots. Really? He has twenty shots according to the league stat sheet, behind Lloyd Sam with twenty-seven and above Dax with sixteen. I don't know if I can remember any. I mean, our header? Do headers count as shots? I guess if they do. Towards the goal, I guess so. I, I I would imagine that most of them are those. Perhaps. I would think a majority. This is where I want MLSsoccer.com. I want to be able to click on that 20 shots, and I want to be able to see them all in video. Is that too much to ask? I don't know, man. You're going to have to come up with some sweet, sweet targeted allocation money. 
<laughs> I've got friends at MLS Digital, man. You don't know. Okay. Dan calls it a 2-2 draw, which would certainly put a little bit of a crimp in the Red Bulls' charge towards the second shield in three years. I'm going to call it a 3-2 New York Red Bulls win over a talented side. This has been a fantastic show. It's been a long show. It's late. It's late on Thursday night. Thank you so much for, for sticking with us. Thank you so much to Louis Robles. Thank you so much uh, to Mike Petke for joining us, and thank you for writing in and for listening. For Dan Nickinson, I'm Mark Fishkin saying thanks so much for listening to this episode of Seeing Red, and we'll be back next week. Good night. This has been Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com. Listen anytime on iTunes, Stitcher, and seeingredny.com.